0: Okay, take your Bibles with me and turn back to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. All I was able to give you last Sunday was basically an introduction. We didn't even cover any verses. We're actually going to try to cover some verses this morning, and I'm not even going to give you an introduction. We're just going to pick up uh, after he because I gave you the introduction last week. So we're going to pick up with verse 5. This will be the second lesson in this series. Whom the Lord loves... He chastens part two. You know, I, I said it last Sunday, but it always bears repeating that religion has a way of uh, seeking to motivate men and women to do what is just the outpouring of grace and gratitude from one born from above, one born of God. I am convinced you do not have to uh, threaten nor do you have to promise rewards to those that are born of God to get them to do that which is right and proper, that which is in a part of our life, uh, this life of faith that he's called us to. You don't have to threaten men and women that if they don't give a tithe of everything that they have been given that the Lord's going to take it back from them. You just don't. I'd say case in point of that is, and I, I know that I have encountered so many people, and we, uh, they, when they find out that you preach, they begin to question about your church. You know, the first thing is, how many have you got? You know, like, that makes any difference. Two or three are gathered together. There I am in the midst. So, I mean, there's been times that it was two or three. But that's his promise to us. But then they say, well, how do y'all, you know, what, what, what do y'all do business-wise? And we've been together for 35 years, never had a business meeting. I saw one of the local churches putting a sign out as I passed by the other day. I told Pam, I said, "What well, how many business meetings they had over deciding what color brick's going to be in that thing? I can remember when <clears throat> we were back up at HICO when I was a false preacher there. Uh, it was always the, the first Wednesday after the first Sunday. Was business meeting, and on that first Sunday of the month, my stomach began to get in a turmoil because I knew what was coming Wednesday night. And folks, we argued and fought over everything. Well, I didn't. I just was an innocent bystander. Is what I was. But they wanted to argue about everything. You know, we we almost had a knockdown out over a vacuum cleaner one time. Yeah. And then they appointed me to be the one to get the vacuum cleaner. And after I, I, I didn't have time to run around and look. I, I dealt with Electrolux. They brought me a. They were the only one willing to bring me a, 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 a demonstrator. And they dropped it off. And I vacuumed. And it worked great. And so I told them next business meet next month, this is what we got. We're gonna go with this Electrolux. And they said, well, why, why didn't you search locally? And I'm like. They ain't no local vacuum cleaner shop, <laughs> we could get one from Walmart. Well, it, it got ugly, you know. But that was the way things are, you know. I mean, you, you, everybody's got to have a vote. Henry told me years ago that you know, because Thirteenth Street's been there a lot longer than us since back in the sixties, never had a business meet. And Henry always told me this: when you start voting, you start fighting because everybody's got an opinion on something. And so for thirty-five years, we've never had a business meet. And in 35 years, and Bart and Sally could confirm it, Matt's too young to remember it. uh, Nobody else has been here with us from the beginning. But in 35 years, I have never preached a message, an outright message, demanding that you give. And yet, in 35, nearly 36 years of the gospel being preached here, we've never had a business meeting. We bought this building. We put this edition in the back. We started providing for a missionary and all that's involved in that over in Africa. We have never missed a bill as a church family. And we just saw, I just told you a minute ago, in two weeks, this little small group has raised $1,360 to send to somebody else. Over and above what you give to support the gospel ministry here. Why? God's people know what's necessary to to do the work of the ministry. You have to beat God's children to pray. The thing of it is, God will take care of that. And we'll see that as we go through this. God will move his children. He, He will put us in situations where the only thing we can do is, you know what? We cry unto the Lord our God. I was reading a, a wonderful devotion this week. I might not get in verses covered. <laughs> I was reading a wonderful devotional this week by uh, we, either William Mason or Robert Hawker, and he was talking about, you know the story of the, where the children of Israel had just come across the Red Sea, which is a picture of redemption. God, that same Red Sea through which they were delivered was the same destruction of the enemy, which that's a picture of salvation by God's grace through Christ's blood and His righteousness. And the same, the same message that is a savor of life unto life to the children of God. What is it to the reprobate? It's a, it's a savor of death unto death. Same message. It condemns them. And so they had come out and they'd, they'd, they'd been blessed, been blessed mightily above God. And it, it says that the people became thirsty. They'd sang the song of redemption. Remember that? After they'd come through. Moses' sister led them as they sang the song of redemption. The next thing we see, they're out there, and they're thirsty. And they come to a place to where there's water and an abundance of water. But yet, there's a problem. This place is called Mara, And Mara means bitter. And the water was bitter. And it, when, they, they, when they saw the water that was bitter, who put the bitter water there? God did. You know what the, it, what the children of Israel did? It said, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord their God. Tell you, God will move us to pray. He will. He moves us. There's a song by William Cowper, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his feet upon the seas and rides upon the storms. And he does. Everything in our lives. And you and I need to, and this is part of growth and grace and knowledge of the truth, and this takes a lifetime. We need to know, we need to understand, we need to believe and acquiesce, rest in totally and completely the fact that this sovereign God whom we serve, He works every single solitary thing for His glory and for His honor first. Absolute first cause. You hear me? I can't explain this. The absolute first cause in everything that has happened in what we consider history. Who's the absolute first cause of all of it? Satan? Men's free will? Accident? Chance? No, what is it? It's the purposes of God for his glory. But secondarily, what does he work all these things for? Not only for his glory, but for his people's good. Now, we don't always see it as good, do we? Matter of fact, sometimes what is good for us is painful to us. And in the third sense, he works everything for the advancement of his kingdom. We're all headed toward that kingdom that is established in Christ Jesus already in this present world. The fulfillment when I and I, I tell don't we long I mean I know that that we have family and friends here and we enjoy our lives, but don't we long for that time when we're free of this place don't we i don't have a death wish <laughs> I, I I would love to see my granddaughter grow up i'd love to see my other son get married and maybe have another grandchild, maybe somewhere down the line but even in spite of what I want, I, I still there's a longing within me to be free from this this old body of death, the body of this death. It holds me back. It, every, everything about me, everything about me, is so filled with sin and unbelief, huh? These old preacher don't talk that way. If to talk any other way would be to deny the reality. That's why I want out of this thing. I want to love God perfectly, don't you? I want to love my neighbor as myself. But the good I want to do, I don't do. And the evil I don't want to do, that's exactly what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So God deals with us as children. Notice what he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. Now, what's the exhortation that they've forgotten? And this ought to, you ought to to write this down, because you know know what exhortation he's talking about? talking about Proverbs chapter 3. Who wrote Proverbs? Solomon. wise Solomon? Remember, the Lord told him, ask him, you ask what you will, and I'll give it to you. What do you ask for? Give me wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. And he says to these people who were believers, who were justified saints, who had been told out of the old... Because, listen, they didn't have the King James Version of the Bible here. They didn't have the New Testament here. What did they have? They had the prophets. They had the, the apostles. They had the preachers, they had the teachers who spoke the wonderful works of God, who preached the gospel of God's grace to them at this specific time that would later be written down for our admonition and our learning. But what they did have is what? They had the Old Testament scriptures. And what was the exhortation? Here it is. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. We have stressed this now since we started back in chapter 11. How the justified saints live. The just, the righteous. Not those that are trying to get righteous. Those who are righteous. Do do, do you realize that yourself this morning? You think about the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all, how many? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. You you hear that? In love having predestinated us unto the adoption of sons by Christ Jesus our Lord. We, (laughs) sinners, by birth, by nature, by practice, and even by choice, we stand before God Almighty, righteous, holy, accepted in the blood, without doing anything. That's what grace is all about. And see, here's the thing. True believers, we have to walk by faith, walk according to what God's Word tells us. We don't walk according to human reasoning, not even our own. See, think about this. When we truly understand and believe what God says, it makes what men think and what men say concerning our lot in life insignificant. Those miserable comforters of Job, they looked at him and they questioned whether or not he was truly devoted to God. Job, you have got to be Have done something that has brought this kind of tragedy and events into your life. What have you done? Job didn't seek to justify himself to them. What did he say? I know my Redeemer liveth. Huh? That's to just you live by faith. Not by, to, to, I guarantee you, to his own conscience, he probably thought he was guilty of something. Listen, everything that you have ever or will ever commit sin-wise toward our God, where did it go? It was laid on Him. Christ bore it. So why do we keep trying to bear it? That's what our Lord said. Come to me all ye labor and heavy laden. What will I do? Give you rest. And yet we're too stupid or too stubborn to rest in His rest. The writer here reminds these Hebrew believers... That God says these afflictions they were experiencing—where do they come from? They come from a God who loves them. Well, that's that's something to consider. It comes from their look, It comes from their covenant God and Father, who is actively engaged every attribute of His being for their good. Think about that. And see, that, that, it's not only true of these Hebrew believers, but who else is it true of? It's true of all God's children in every generation. He owns us, folks. He does. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are whose? Your own. You're not your own. We're His. He owns us as sons and all our trials and all our afflictions. You know what? They're sanctified by him, and all of them are sent into our lives for our growth and grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a certainty. God chastens whom he loves. Every one of them. And it removes uh, this idea that God chastens. Think about it. He chastens whom he loves. You punish somebody you don't love. He chases, he corrects, he instructs his children, those that he loves. And that removes any, lo- any notions or ideas of a legal punishment. This chastening that the writer is talking about, it proceeds from love, and God deals with his adopted sons and daughters in that way. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. In other words, what did he say? Don't be surprised when tribulation arises because of the word. See, now we have a tendency to think of tribulation as events that happen in our lives. That's, that's not the tribulation that he's talking about and with whom the Lord loves he chastens. What does he chasten us for? He chastens us to bring our hearts and our minds to a a present awareness and a constant rest in who and what we are in Christ Jesus. He chastens us that the trials and tribulation, this strange, he said, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, was coming on these people that Peter was writing to for what reason only? The way they dressed? The way they spoke, the way they wore their hair? No, what did it come up? What was coming? It goes back to what our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men shall persecute you for what? For righteousness' sake. Not personal holiness. What do they per What do they persecute God's children for? Over the gospel. Over the gospel. He says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But what are we to do? Listen, but rejoice. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Our Lord made it very clear to his apostles, and it makes it very clear to you and me as well. That if they hated, he said, if they hated him, what are they going to do to us? If we're really his, they're not going to embrace us, they're just not. Now that doesn't mean, and I, I pray every time that I, when I do pray, I always pray, Lord, I, you know, a, a man who would have friends or a woman who would have friends, what are they to do? Show themselves friendly. And I do, I don't want to do anything by way of character conduct, and I know you don't either, that would make me out as something that is is self-righteous and haughty in dealing with men and women who do not believe and know this gospel. I want to get along with everybody as much as is possible. I want to live peaceably with all men. You do too, right? But the long and the short of it is this. That, that peaceableness that I sink, seek to have with all men and women without exception, it ends where? When it comes to this gospel message. And I'm telling you, when those people that you think are your best friends, and we all have some folks out there that we consider our best friend, when this issue comes to a head, when it's truly seen what you think, And what the scriptures teach concerning men and women that do not believe and love this gospel, you know what they're going to do to you and me? That doesn't mean they're going to come burn. They can't come burn our houses down. They can't cost us our jobs. We happen so far right now to live in a country where we have some freedoms and liberties are protected by the Constitution of the United States of America. But, folks, in reality, that Constitution ain't what protects us. What protects his church? It ain't what George Washington and them old white-haired dudes came up with. Our protection is the same as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Our comfort, our security, our peace, our hope is the same as Joseph's hope when they threw him in that pit. Our confidence is in the same God that allowed a young boy named David to walk out onto a field of battle, not clothed in full battle gear or supported by an armada. He walked out into that field, walked through that stream, picked up five stones, put them in his backpack, and walked out to face a giant. And the giant sneered at him. And said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do away with you this day. And David looked at him and he told him, he said, I fought a line. <laughs> Overcame it. Today you're going to die. Huh? Took one stone out. Threw it. And it, it wasn't David's practice and skill that directed that stone. One stone, not five. He didn't have to keep reloading to keep throwing. One stone. I, mean, I, I, couldn't hit, so I couldn't hit you, Ray, I couldn't hit you with a slingshot from here. But to take one of them things with, you know, with, with a rock over your head, <laughs> boom, dead. That's our confidence. We're going to suffer. Look, at, look down chapter 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, the same thing that they were going through, who else is going through it? This is not something that's just isolated to one or two particular believers. Whom the Lord loves, I mean, does the Lord love? He loves His people, every one of them. Not, not, and let me be very careful because there's some out there watching. I want to be very clear what I'm saying. When I'm talking about that God loves His people, I am not talking about the world. Not talking about all men and women without exception. Because if God loves the world, I tell, we can close up shop, the world's going to heaven. Because I, I can, I can rest, rest assured based on accurate scriptural interpretation. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 tells us that everybody God loves, first of all, what's happened for them? Their sins have been propitiated. What is, what is what, hold on, wait. What do you mean, pastor? Here it is. Herein's love. Now we're talking about the love of God. Herein's love, not that we love God. That's where that's where religion puts all the emphasis. I saw a sign in a church the other day. I'm falling in love with Jesus more every day. This ain't a love affair. This ain't a dating site. Huh? Herein's love not that well, that's what they put in I love the, I love the Lord more and that's how, isn't that how you used to measure whether or not you were saved or lost by how much you thought you loved the Lord? Well, let the scriptures be your guide. Herein's love not that we love God, but that he loved uh, what loved us and sent his Son. It says to be, but that you'll notice in your Bible, in a King James Version or any of the others, it's got to be in, in brackets, which means it wasn't in the original. Send his son the propitiation for our sins. What is that? Perfect satisfaction of our justice. So whoever he loves, what has he also done? He's reconciled them to himself. Well, what's the result of this reconciliation? 1 John 4.19. We love. Not we're falling in love with him. We love him. Why? Because of what 1 John 4.10 tells us. He first loved us. How do you know how much God loved you? He sent his son to put away my sin. That's what he's saying here. And, and, and this is the thing. We, we, God's love for us provides every single solitary thing necessary for us as his adopted sons and daughters while in this present evil world. Look at verse 7. Turn back over to our text. How we to endure this, this chastisement? Whom the Lord... I think of that. That's what I was talking about. Whom the Lord loves. He chastens. How I many... Everybody he loves, and he scourges every one of them. My boys, they can tell you, I was unequalled in my discipline to both of my boys. Now, sometimes, like I told you last Sunday, tragically, it just descended into anger most of the time, and it wasn't their fault; it was my own fault. But I would—I didn't—I didn't, I didn't chasing one one way and chasing the other the other way. They got equal punishment. They—they—they—they. They, they, They failed, what happened? They were chastened, both of them. Not punished, they were chastened to correct them, to instruct them. And he says that everybody he loves, he scourges, he chastens, he he instructs every single solitary one of them without exception. How do they endure it? Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? Huh. If you don't love your kids, what do you do? You let them do what they want to do. Why, all of us in here have got children now that are either raised or are gone out on their own. Why did we do the things that we did for our children? Why did we discipline our children? Did we do it just because we felt like doing it? No. What do we want? We wanted the best for them, right? But here's the thing you need to realize in, in this: what this verse tells us, verse seven, enduring chastisement—it's not a condition of sonship. But you know what it is. It's an evidence that you're a child of God, huh? If you endure chastisement, God deals with you. How is what you are as a son? Let me read you this verse. Listen to this. James one you know, one book over, James chapter one verse two. He says, "My brethren, counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, now listen to this." Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, what does it do? It works patience. So if you want to be patient, what has to happen to your faith? It has to be tried. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be complete, perfect, an entire wanting nothing. Now what what the writer here writes concerning if you do are chastening, God dealeth with you as sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? It's it's not said of everybody who suffers in this life. Now think about this. But those who endure chastening have as sons. And they endure it because what how did you get to be a son of God? You were adopted into the family of God. Again, we're told that in those afflictions, God's dealing with us not as an enemy. And when he chastens his folks, he's not even chasing us as a judge. How's he chasing us? What does it say here? For what son is he whom the Father? He chastens us as a father. Look at verse 8. But if you be without chastisement. Now you listen to this. If you be without chastisement. Whereof how many? All are partakers. Every child of God's is chastened of the Lord. Every one of them. Then are you bastards. And not sons. Again, we have to be very clear on this. Every one of God's children are chastened. And the thing is, there's an inseparable relationship between the father and son, which, folks, it demands chastisement, which means correction for instruction. We have to keep this in mind. All God's children suffer. What do they suffer for? They suffer for their testimony for Christ's sake. Look over at John chapter 15. Look at verse 18. That's what our Lord said. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, talking to his apostles and talking to us, the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And see, it's verses like this next one, verse 19. That lets me know "world" can't mean all men and women without exception. It has to be qualified for God so love the world. We need to know who that world's talking about. Because notice what He says here: if you are of the world, so do you, do you see? Do you see the distinction made here? He says, if the world hates you. You know that the world hated me before it hated you. And then he turns around and he says, if you were of the world. So in other words, these apostles, what are they not part of? They're not part of the world of unbelief. The world of the reprobate. Because that's who hates the children of God. Because here's the thing, if you were of the world, what would the world do to you? The world would love its own. Isn't it amazing? The scribes hated the Pharisees, and the Pharisees decided despised the scribes. And the Jews hated the Romans, and the Romans held the Jews in captivity. But all of them, what did they unite to do? They all came together for one reason. They hated the Lord our righteousness. That's what killed him. Look, our Lord's character and conduct was above reproach, was it not? Nobody. He said, which of you can accuse me of sin? There's none in him. They accused him of being a blasphemer. They accused him of being a wine-baber, of which he was neither. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, unchargeable. Yet they hated him. Why did they hate him? He told them, you and you, he told these people, you are of your father, the devil. And your father's works is exactly what you do. Again, what kind of works were they doing? They were out there all part of the LGDP plus community, wasn't they? No! They were all murdering everybody they could murder. They were all cheating on their wives. No, they were moral, sincere, dedicated, stupid. I started to say Bible thumping. It was scroll thumping religionists. Practicing the law. Going to the sin. These people were to synagogue every Saturday. When every sacrifice was made, they viewed it. They were part of it. And he says to them, Y'all had put your hope somewhere that God never purposed for you to put his hope, put your hope. Your hope is where? It was standing there with them. Salvation, redemption in Christ stands there, God incarnate, the Redeemer. And they chose the type over the reality. He goes on. Remember the word that I said unto you the servant's not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they've kept my sayings, what are they going to do? They're going to keep yours. I don't have to I don't have to fight and argue with people to get them to, to do the things of myself if 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 we're his, what do we do? We if they kept, we keep his sayings, don't we? I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments, but all these things will they do unto you, and here's why it's for, for my name's sake. What's his name? The Lord our righteousness. Because they know not him that sent See, they sent God sent righteousness into the world in person of Christ. If I had not come, spoken unto them, they would have not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin, because see, they thought they were saved, right? But He says, now what? The, it's ripped off. Why? There's only one righteousness. He that hateth me hateth. My father, if I had not done among them the works which no other man did, they had not had sin, but now they have both seen me and hated both me. And listen, he says of these Jews, who else do they hate? They hate Jehovah God. And yet they claim Jehovah God to be their father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. (laughs) <laughs> it's written in their law. What? They hated me without a cause. But when the comforters come, whom I will send into you from my Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall do what? He shall testify of me, and you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Verse, Chapter 16, verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended Listen, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doth God's service. And these things will they do unto you. Why they do all this? Because they have not known the Father and they have not known me. Now you listen to me. This is so important. We'll close with this this morning. Those who profess to believe the gospel and never suffer on account of the gospel, who compromise the gospel to avoid persecution, you know what he tells us they all are? They're bastards. They're bastards. What does that mean? If you're a bastard, it means God's not your father. Again, this is one of those reprobate things here. These bastards don't become sons. A bastard's a bastard. It's not because I'm like saying that word. That's just the reality. You can't change that. You can't make them into something that not. Now listen, we're to follow peace with all men without compromising the gospel. And those who obtain and maintain peace by compromising God's gospel, they will never, listen, they will never see the Lord God in redemption. They cannot. Their state before God is expressed both positively and negatively. Then are you bastards? And here's the negative. That's the positive side. You bastards. Here's the negative side. You're not sons. What does that mean? They have no right nor title... To the in heaven, heavenly inheritance because they have not savingly been brought to true faith and true repentance in the only righteousness that gives a sinner right and title to that inheritance, which is what? The imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah said it best, it's inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. Surely shall one say, In the Lord, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. And them that believe on Him shall never be ashamed. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter ten? Whosoever believeth in me shall never be ashamed. Never ashamed before God. Never ashamed before the law. Never ashamed of the judgment. Okay, you dismissed the worship. I appreciate your presence.